0: It's always a relief to see the PowerPoint has arrived. I, if you've heard this story before, I apologise, but I remember I was speaking about at a big conference about informed consent, and it was there was a direct, I think the chairman of the health board was there. There was lots of important people there anyway, and I turned up with my floppy disk. It was in the days of the floppy disk, and I handed it over to the IT chap who was loading it up, and I was filling for time. When I turned round to look at the screen to check it was there the fateful words appeared behind me. Roderick Shippen, death of a salesman. <laughs> I'd picked up my son's English homework by mistake. That's a true story. And So we just abandoned the PowerPoint uh, and, and, and went, with, went with me just talking for an hour on informed consent, which, as you can imagine, went really well. So today we've we've got, very helpfully, we've got help from our IT chap in getting this set up and I'm happy that it's here. So if you've got a Bible with you, um, perhaps you could turn together to the Gospel of Luke chapter 10 and verse 25. It's helpful if you have, have a Bible in front of you and keep it open while we're while we're looking at this passage together. So we'll just read it together has everyone got it yeah Luke chapter 10 verse 25 the parable of the good Samaritan I've got the English standard version but I think it'll be it'll be the same in in most of our our Bibles and behold a lawyer stood up to put him to the test saying teacher what shall I do to inherit eternal life Jesus said to him what is written in the law How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. But he desiring to justify himself said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers?" The lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that all these years after this parable was written, it speaks to us today we pray that we would hear you speaking, that we would hear your voice clearly, and that then we would be willing to allow it to change our lives. <coughs> for Jesus' sake, Amen. Okay, when I was a, I used to be a crusader leader, uh, I was a crusader leader for 25 years in Edinburgh Trinity Crusaders, and one of the parables that I think we would act out most often was the parable of the Good Samaritan because it's such a dramatic story, isn't it? It's one of the parables that we all know really well and that we, ha- we can all recite practically off by heart. But sometimes when you get parables like that, <clears throat> you can almost miss the point of the parable by overfamiliarity with it. And what I have found as I have studied this parable for coming to speak to you this morning has been that it's really challenged and squeezed my heart really challenged my heart and then I've come out the other side of that with God being able to reassure me about how we can take it forward so if you find during the course of the morning that you are being made to feel uncomfortable by this parable I think that's a good thing because I think it's good to allow God's word to speak to us but and if you're feeling uncomfortable I think there will come a point where you'll feel less uncomfortable Certainly hoping so, anyway. So let's start on that <laughs> basis, anyway. <coughs> Excuse me. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to start by telling you a legal story. Okay, I felt being a lawyer, I should do that. How do I get this to move forward? Is it a pre- Oh, that's it. <coughs> is anybody here a lawyer? Excellent. You'll know this story really well. This is the story of Mrs. Donahue who went to a cafe in Paisley many, many, many years ago and ordered a ginger beer float, which is ginger beer with ice cream in it. So the waiter brought along the bottle of ginger beer, not exactly this one, but similar to this, and he poured it into the glass on top of the ice cream. And Mrs. Donahue drank some of it. (coughs) And then her friend poured the rest of it into the glass. And somewhat to her horror, a decomposed snail fell out of the ginger beer bottle, into the ginger beer. <laughs> Mrs Donahue's reaction was not positive. <coughs> she was greatly distressed and quite sick <coughs> when she saw the sna- a snail in the ginger beer bottle and she sued the manufacturer of the ginger beer for negligence. Now in those days, believe it or not, there was no right to sue the manufacturer of the, of the ginger <coughs> beer bottle for negligence because there was not considered to be a, big, a close enough relationship between the chap who made the bottle of ginger beer and the person who drank it at the end of the day. And this case changed everything in relation to that position. However, the why am I on earth am I telling you about the snail in the ginger beer bottle? It seems completely irrelevant to the parable of the Good Samaritan. But the interesting thing is that one of the judges in the House of Lords actually quoted the parable of the good Samaritan and when I hear the parable of the good Samaritan I immediately think of Lord Atkin in the house of lords this my friend the lawyer may also feel the same way about the parable of the good Samaritan but probably nobody else does anyway (laughs) what I thought I would read you this is what what he said was um, the rule that you are to love your neighbor becomes in law you must not injure your neighbor And the lawyer's question, who is my neighbour, receives a restricted reply. You must take reasonable care to avoid acts and omissions, which you can reasonably foresee would be likely to injure your neighbour. Who then in law is my neighbour? It's the question the lawyer asked, Jesus. (coughs) The answer seems to be, persons who are so closely and directly affected by my act, that I ought reasonably to have them in contemplation as being so affected, when I am directing my mind to the acts or omissions which are called in question. To which Jesus replies, rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> okay, that, that, but I, I quoted it because actually, as a lawyer, I find that quite interesting, that what the House of Lords was saying in relation to who is my neighbour, was you couldn't possibly say that everybody is my neighbour. That would be far too wide an answer, because how could that possibly be the legal test? But the, but the scary news for all of us today is that when Jesus was asked that question, he answered by telling the parable of the Good Samaritan, which will challenge us uh, and make us think very hard about who is my neighbor when we come to it later on. <clears throat> okay, so let's start by going back to the very first question that the lawyer asked. I don't know what, how you think about lawyers. I'm very positive about lawyers. I, I think there are a great bunch of people. Me too. <coughs> excellent, excellent. But you've probably seen that chap on the news that comes on going, have you had an accident in the last five years? Have you seen that chap? And the answer is, you go to your friendly lawyer, he will be able to sue your, somebody and get money for you. Well, or you get some criminal lawyers that you see defending terrible people who've done awful things. That was not this kind of lawyer. (coughs) This kind of lawyer was was like a professor in a um, Bible college. He was an expert in the law of of the Jews. That was his expertise. (coughs) So he wasn't a random lawyer like me coming up to ask Jesus the question. He was somebody who was a complete expert in the law. And what he was actually doing here was not really asking the question because he wanted to know the answer. He was asking the question because he wanted to trap Jesus into an answer that would disclose something about Jesus that people could despise. I think that what he was asking Jesus was, do you believe that the law has any relevance to eternal life? And he expected, I think, Jesus to answer him by saying, you've got to love everybody, forget about the law, the law doesn't matter now. So that was his question. He was putting Jesus to the test. That's what it says in the parable. It says here that a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. So he was either trying to trap him or he was genuinely putting him to the test. He was finding out what will he say in response to this question. And will then people be able to trap him into saying he said something unexpected or wrong? (coughs) But Jesus didn't answer the question, did he? That's what Jesus often did when he was asked questions like this. If he was asked a question which he thought people genuinely wanted to know the answer to, he would answer that question. But if he thought the motivation for the question was actually to try and trap him into something, that might lead him into, into to, to something dangerous before it actually came to his time to be crucified, he would often answer with a question back. And that's exactly what he did here. So he laid his own trap in a sense, but Jesus lays traps of love, not the same kind of traps that we lay. So he, he asked a, a question back. He said to him, well, what do you think? What do you say? What does the law say? What do you think the answer to that question is? And the lawyer gave an answer. Now, the answer was something that we've seen in other parts of the, of the New Testament. The answer that the lawyer gave was actually the, the perceived wisdom at the time. And it was something, because he was a biblical scholar, that he would have been expected to know. And this is what his answer was. <coughs> Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbour as yourself. That was what his answer was. And that was quite an easy answer for him to give, because it was something that everybody expected him to say. And what Jesus said in response to that was, that's right. Now just go and live like that. You do that and you will live. So what Jesus was saying in response to the question, what will I do to gain eternal life? The lawyer answered with this answer and Jesus said, yeah, that's right. If you can do all of that, if you can do all of that, knock yourself out. (laughs) Go and do it. But does any of us think that the lawyer actually lived like that? Does any of us actually live like that? Well, I know what my answer to that question is. Absolutely not. Because what Jesus was saying to him was, okay, if you can genuinely say that you love God like that, and you serve your neighbour like that, then that is an evidence that you have found the answer to eternal life. But what Jesus knew was that nobody lives like that, and that nobody can live like that in their own strength. And the interesting thing is that when we look at what the lawyer said and what the lawyer did, there are two different things. My old minister, I don't know if anyone has ever heard, heard of James Phillip. He used to be in Gardenston, I think. He used to be the minister in Gardenston. He died a few years ago. He was my hero. Um, he was an absolutely wonderful preacher. I learned almost everything I know about the Bible from James Philip, And obviously from reading the Bible. <laughs> you should say that quickly. Um, but <laughs> how is, what he used to always say was, a man is what he is on his knees before God in the quietness of his room. So that's what you are, and a guy called William Temple, who said, your religion is what you do with your solitude. And that's a real challenge to me. I don't know about you, if you've got some spare time, something you're not, you don't have anything to do, you don't have any meals to make, you don't have anybody to collect, you don't have anything to do at all, what does your mind go to? What do you think about? What takes over in your, in your, in your consciousness? What do you think about? Because that often is what you live for. How many of us can honestly say that in the quietness of our own hearts, when we're alone and we've got nothing else to think about, we think about God and how he consumes our being and how he is the center of everything that we do and our whole lives. And how many of us can actually say with our hands on our hearts, that we love our neighbors as we love ourselves <coughs> as far as i'm concerned the person i love most in the entire world is me and when it comes to doing things and when it comes to thinking about things i often think about myself first and it's a natural human reaction so when jesus was answering the lawyer the, when jesus was answering the lawyer having answered the question he knew that the lawyer No way was the lawyer actually, truly believing this answer when he gave it. So the lawyer, realising this, realising that what he was being asked to do was actually give everything to to give all his heart to God and to love his neighbour as himself, (coughs) thought, this is a bit of a tough call. So he went with the Lord Atkin approach. He said, who is my neighbour, thinking that he might get get a bit of slack cut to him that Jesus might say okay okay so I'm saying this about your neighbor but actually it's only the people that you that you live next door to you know so it's only Jimmy next door that you're that is your actual neighbor so he's the only person you have to worry about here. I was I was actually at a a conference once and they were the the chap was talking about loving your enemies. I had gone along to the talk because I wanted to hear the singing and (laughs) It was at a conference I was at, and I'd been to already five talks that day, and I, w- I wasn't really wanting to hear what the guy had to say about loving my neighbour or loving my enemy. <coughs> I was quite keen to hear what the band had to play. <laughs> and as I sat there, the guy, the, the chap who—I can't remember anything else he said—but what he said was, "Actually, we find it really, really hard to love our friends, and loving our neighbours isn't something we even consider doing most of the time." And actually, I thought. You know, that's true. When I think of loving my, my enemies, often I'm thinking about somebody in church that I don't get on with. <laughs> don't know about you, but there are some people that you, don't, that, that you find quite difficult to get on with and so you, you sort of, reg- you don't regard them as an enemy officially. But, but you know, th- that's the sort of thing I'm thinking about when I'm thinking about loving my enemies. But that wasn't the sort of thing Jesus was talking about when he was talking about loving his enemies. He says you've got to love your friends, whether you like them or not. But you've also got to love these enemies. You know, it was a really tough call listening to what Jesus had to say. And so what Jesus said when he was asked, who is my neighbour? He didn't give a restricted reply. That's what Lord Atkins said. He said the question receives a restricted reply. You know, only the people that you have in your head at the time are your neighbours. A very small number of people potentially he wanted the lawyer wanted to set limits on the command but unlike the house of lords jesus set no limits at all and in the story of the good samaritan which we'll come back to in some detail in a minute but in this story when you look at what the hero of the story did when you look at what he did it was downright stupid what he did okay now when we talk about samaritans and i'm going to say a bit more about this later we always think of a guy at the end of the phone don't we the Samaritans, those are the people that we, th- that we naturally think of when we think of Samaritans. And we think of, pe- of Samaritans as being helpful people, don't we? Generally. But a Jew didn't think about a Samaritan as being a helpful person. He thought of a Samaritan as Doctor Who thinks of the Daleks. Or as um, the, the Hutu and the Tutsi people in Rwanda feel about each other. Or the IRA and the UDI felt about each other in Northern Ireland. This was a very bad relationship. This was something, and, and so for this for this Samaritan man, in the situation that he was in, to actually stop and rescue this person lying in the street, was a very dangerous thing to do. And we might, and people that were listening to this story probably thought he was mad, actually stopping and doing this. Because when you think about it, he met all the needs of that chap who was lying in the street, didn't he? He met his physical needs. He met his emotional needs, he met his financial needs, he met his transport needs and he made provision for him in a very costly way that went way beyond anything that you could possibly even imagine. That's what was happening in this parable. So, that leads us to the next question, which is, does this parable talk to us about helping people or does it really talk to us about the gospel? And sometimes when, when I was I was doing a lot of reading um, when I was actually preparing for this and this is one of the questions that a number of people asked because sometimes the parable of the good Samaritan is used to say well what we should be really doing as a church or as a group of Christians is focusing on people in need and that that's the right thing that we should be doing and so what Jesus is doing here is saying we should really be Thinking more about the social work side of being a Christian, we should think about feeding, sheltering, protecting the weak and rescuing people and it's astounding how often Jesus when you look at matthew twenty five when he talked about the the parable of the the, ch- the the sheep and the goats and the parable of the person of the person who said um, the, where, where jesus said did you, did, did, you, did you do anything remember I now forgotten what the parable was, but it was where um, he was being asked did you feed me? Did you, did you clothe me? Did you, did you, did you give me something to drink? And the disciples say, When did I ever do that to you? And they said, In the least, inasmuch as you did not do it to the least of these people, you did not do it unto me. So Jesus is saying, You've got to care for all these needs of people. But also remember the context of this parable, which I think is really, really important here. The context of this parable is that Jesus has just sent out. 72 disciples to tell people about the gospel. So I think what this parable is illustrating is the principle of gospel neighborhood. Now this is not my idea, this is Tim Keller's idea and if any of you have ever read any of Tim Keller's books or his, I I highly recommend that you go and do that because a lot of the things I'm saying this morning have come from listening to a lot of what Tim Keller has had to say over the years and of reading it again before I came here today. So what, what, what is happening here is Jesus is demonstrating that both of these things are absolutely crucially important. Telling people about the gospel is really really important but also demonstrating the principle of gospel neighborhood is also really really important because when you do it Love like that, unconditional love like that, extraordinary, extravagant love like that will provoke a response in people. People will want to know, you're a crazy person. Why are you doing this? And the answer is, because it's a way of life, not a way to life. So once you've found the treasure that is Jesus, It's because you found the treasure that is Jesus that you then want to go and live your life, helping the stranger, helping the person in need. So this is not the answer to the question, how do you find eternal life? (coughs) This is the answer to the question, how do I find eternal life through God? The answer is, I find it because I am converted and I demonstrate it by being a good neighbor. And Jesus is challenging us on that by saying, how do we demonstrate that ourselves in our lives? So, the next thing to think about, that's that's the command. That's the command that we're given. That's the story that we're given to show, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And love your neighbour as yourself. Love your neighbour as yourself is what we're commanded to do. So before we move on to to looking at how we actually do that in practice, I want us to think about, this is what Tim Keller also talks about, and these are his headings next, (coughs) the magnitude of that command. Aren't you by now sympathizing with the lawyer? The magnitude of the command that Jesus has just given him to go and do is unthinkable. So as human beings, we do what Lord Atkins did. We limit it, we limit the answer. So let's think about how we limit the answer. What limits do we place on our service? If we do place limits on our service. Maybe, I'm, maybe there are some people here who don't place any limits on their service. But if we place limits on our service, what are those limits that we place? <coughs> and, and why do we do it? Well, first of all, do we limit the who? Do we limit who we give our, our neighbour service to? Is it possible that what we do is limit the service to the people that we like? Or do we limit the service to the people who like us? Or do we limit the service to people we may not see again? Because <coughs> that's actually quite easy, isn't it? That's, that's actually quite an easy thing. So, so we think, well, the costly service that I have, to, I, 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 I'll, I'll do it. But it's, it's actually something that's, that's relatively straightforward to do. I was down at the night shelter, the Bethany night shelter, a couple of weeks ago, um, giving out soup in the, <coughs> in the night shelter, and there were about 75 homeless men there, and I really in- enjoyed interacting with them. And it was, it, was, it, was a, it was a good way to spend an evening in many ways. And then I was able to go home and forget all about them. And probably never see any of them again, except maybe sometimes on, the st- on Princess Street when I'm walking past. In some ways, that was quite an easy thing for me to do in terms of of limiting the who. And sometimes I think there is a temptation that we have to limit it to people who like us. So if people are grateful for what we've done for them, then then we think, well, we'll just do this. But what Jesus is saying here is you can't limit the who. Our neighbor is is everybody. (laughs) And it's not up to us to try and put those restrictions and limits on it. So if that's not enough, what about limiting the when? So sometimes we we move past the who, we're willing to help everybody. But only if they're deserving. (coughs) Or only if they don't let us down. Or only if they are willing to listen to our message. Is that not quite a challenge for us as well? So sometimes we're willing to we're willing to engage with people, but not if they've brought it on themselves. You quite often hear people say that you know, well, it's all their own fault. It's all their own fault. It's because they spent their money on alcohol or it's because they <coughs> didn't go to the bank and do things properly and if they'd only taken proper financial advice they wouldn't be in the situation they're in so therefore they brought it on themselves and I'm not going to do anything about that. That's what you call limiting the when. And again the challenge that we get from this story is that limiting the when is not something that Jesus is willing to do. Because every single person in the world is created in the image of God. And although we may dismiss somebody as a deserving person, if we got to know that person, we would realise that actually they're just like us. And I think that's one of the things that you find when you actually engage with some people. My husband worked in the homeless hostel when he during his his university days and he got to know quite a lot of the people that came into the hostel who who had fallen on hard times and sometimes the stories that people tell you about where they've come from and where they've been and where they're going breaks your heart and what you realize is that there is nobody out there who is actually undeserving because what we've been commanded to do is treat people as we would treat ourselves. And so if you were in that situation or I were in that situation, even if, we desi- even if we had brought it on ourselves, wouldn't we want people to care about us and to treat us as God would treat us and as Christ would treat us? It's, I- in a sense, it's a real challenge to us, isn't it? And when you think about what God has done for us, none of us deserved God's favour, did we? We're all, we're all sinful people, we all do things that, that and we continue to be sinful people. And yet, while we were sinful, God sent his son to die for us and enabled us to live our lives in that knowledge when we didn't deserve it at all. So if we're applying the same test that God applies to us, then there is nobody deserving, is there? So there's no deserving poor, (laughs) we're all undeserving. And therefore what God says is you shouldn't be looking at people as to whether they're deserving or not, because nobody deserves it. And therefore, that's our second challenge. So do we limit the who? Do we limit the when? Even more challenging, sorry, do we limit the cost? Um, Jesus showed us the price that the good Samaritan was willing to pay. And it was an extreme cost. I'm going to show you a picture of the road that they were on. This is the road that they were on. At the time, it's a very barren sort of... It me of the Davamur Road, actually, a wee bit. <laughs> I came along that last night and I thought, well, this is bit... Yeah. Luckily, I was in a car driving quite quickly, so there was no sign of any robbers, but it was, it was slightly... You know, so what's the cost? Well, where this took place, if we, look at our, if we look at our Bible, so a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and there was a part of the road that was called the Pass of Blood... And the reason it was called the Pass of Blood was it was a really, really exposed part of the road and the robbers could be up on the hills and they could see you going through the pass and they could run down, attack you, beat you, steal all your stuff and then run away again and you were left lying on the road. It was a dangerous, dangerous place to be. Why did the priest and the Levite walk past? Now, it wasn't because they were essentially bad people that they walked past. Both the priest and the Levite had certain duties under the Jewish law. They had duties to actually give money to the poor. That was part part of their responsibility as priests and Levites. So when Jesus was telling this story, the people in the crowd might have expected the priest or the Levite to do something to help the person lying in the street because that was part of their job. But the priest and Levite probably had other considerations One of the considerations was that the man wasn't actually dead, probably. So if that was the case, it was likely that the attack had taken place relatively recently and the robbers might still be around. So who's going to stop and help the man if the robbers are still around? Because you might get beaten up and left. And what good would that be to your church? No good at all. So I justify myself in walking past on the basis, well, actually, I'm better to be alive and do my job than to stop and help this man in the street. Is that not one of the things? And we can all empathise with that. The other thing was that if they, I suppose they were looking. They crossed onto the other side of the road and walked by, so they didn't go very close to the chap. <coughs> so, so there might have been a question as to whether he was dead. And of course, as a, as a Levite or a priest, if you touched a dead person, that was something unclean and you weren't allowed to do that. So there, those were the two. So they had a sort of justification for how they behaved. You know, so a, a justification that many of us, to be honest, if we'd been walking along, might have, have also thought too. But this Samaritan who came along, this enemy of the Jews who came along and saw this man lying in the street, opened his heart and at, at great risk to himself, helped the man lying in the street and also opened his purse. And it was astounding generosity. I don't know how wealthy the Samaritan was, but he gave up two denarii, which I think is equivalent to two days' wages. So it wasn't just that he, that he did a bit of um, help to, to get the guy back on his feet. <coughs> he also put him on his donkey, took him to a hotel and left him there in the care of the innkeeper, paid for his medical bills, which are probably quite high. The NHS didn't exist probably back in in those days. This was astounding generosity, astounding generosity. And that's the point that Jesus is making with all of this. It's it's a story that's being told to show us that actually the cost is high to all of this if we're willing to face it. And so often, often I do this too. Often we say, well, you know, in, in five years time when I've paid off the car loan, or, well, in 25 years' time, when I've paid off the mortgage. Or, but I really need that new suit. You know, we've always got demands on our time and we've never got enough ourselves, have we? I'm Being honest about this, the cost that this chap was willing to pay was really, really high. Are we willing to pay the cost? Are we willing to go that? Are we willing to open our purses as well as our hearts? That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, it's not just a matter of doing something, it's also a bit w- being willing to share what you've got to help other people, because the challenge is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. So, there are no limits that Jesus has put on this. He doesn't limit the who, he doesn't limit the when, and he doesn't limit the cost. That's the challenge that he gives us. That's what he says to us today. There are no limits, but This is where we are. That was a picture I took out of a Crusader book about the Good Samaritan. Our response: "So how are you feeling? How are you feeling now? <laughs> so I was saying at the beginning, I was feeling really rubbish at this point, okay? That's me in the corner there. <laughs> Seriously, how I was feeling. So maybe some people are feeling indifferent. That's possible. Because it's quite possible to sit and listen to something like this and just switch off. And just think, well, it'll be over soon. (laughs) The cakes are coming, you know, I'll I'll be okay. I can Or are you feeling guilty? Does it make you feel guilty? Does it make you think, oh. Ashamed? Like running away? Me too. Me too it's challenged my heart to think about how do I respond to this? What is my motivation for living? How do I cope with all of this? Well, I want to say a few things about that to try and help us get... So we're now down, we're in the road, okay, now. And now we're trying to get out of it again. How do we do it? Social conscience, good new resolutions, who does that? So you start on January the 1st, I'm going to stick to the 5-2 diet. <laughs> By June, I will have lost two stone by 6th of January, I'm having a donut (laughs) Because I am weak. (laughs) And that's what we're all like. So if we're trying to do this by social conscience, if we're trying to do this by making ourselves to screw ourselves up to do this better the next time, it's just not going to work. What about guilt? The Bible tells us we've got to do it, so we've got to obey it. So I say this to you today, you've got to do this, so tomorrow you go and say, I've got to do this, I'll go and do it. I don't think morality or guilt will take us very far in this debate. I really don't. But what do we need to do? Well, what I want you to think about is is this, that the parable reverses our expectations. It completely changes perspective. What the Jews would have expected to happen here is that the Jewish guy's lying on the road, the Levite goes by, the priest goes by, the crowd would have loved it to be that a Jewish guy comes along and rescues a Jew. And that would have been a really good end to the story for the Jews. They would have been going, yeah, this is great. Or alternatively, if Jesus had told the story that an ordinary Jew had rescued a Samaritan lying on the street, everybody would have laughed. Because what the Jew would have done when faced with a Samaritan on the street is probably kicked him on the way past. That's That's true. They despised each other. They absolutely despised each other. The rescuer, the res- so the rescuer in the story being a hated Samaritan would have been a shocker to everyone in that audience. And we lose that completely because we think of the Samaritan as the guy on the phone. What you've got to think is, what were the crowd, what was the lawyer thinking now? When he hears that this a Jew lying on the street, the Samaritan has come along and rescued him, he's a hated Samaritan, not a Jew, the lawyer has been put on the street. That's the genius of this story. It's him that's lying on the street. Because he is the Jewish. He's identifying with the Jewish person lying on the street. And he knows that this guy that's come along, and he thinks about it from his point of view, if he had been beaten by robbers, stripped naked, lying on the street and going to die, what would he want the Samaritan to do? He would want the Samaritan to help him. So Jesus has, has made this parable personal. He has taken it out of being a sort of general discussion about who is my neighbor to who is your neighbor. And the, so what this Jewish person is now forced to admit is, but well, this hated Samaritan was actually his neighbor because he was willing to help him when he was lying on the street. So what Jesus has said is that's grace. That is abounding grace that you're seeing there and this so the answer so that so the lawyer has to go away astonished because what he has realized is that if I was in that position I would want that person to rescue me but I know that if it'd been the other way around I wouldn't have rescued the other person how do I do that how do I get that grace for myself how can it be mine and that's why I think that we've got to look at what motivates us to act what is the thing that makes us? What is the power that enables us to do any of this? And the first thing I want to say is that the only way that we can do any of this stuff is that if Jesus is everything to us. And that if we look at Jesus and he is our saviour and he is our Lord and he rescued us. He picked us up from the gutter and put us into a place. If that's our motivation, if it's the fact that Jesus is our Lord and Saviour, that's the place that we get the power. I want you to turn to Psalm 27 in your Bibles. <coughs> this is another, a, a, I heard a, a sermon by Tim Keller once about the beauty of God, and it changed my life. So I'm going to share it with you because it's just so wonderful. Okay? So look at Psalm 27. and This is David. This is David who wrote this psalm. Uh, And it's a psalm where David was in trouble. So it says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an enemy encamp against me, my heart will not fail. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after. So that psalm says, in the day of trouble, what do I do? What do I do? I look upon the beauty of the Lord. I gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. And I live my life in the presence of the Lord. And I had never thought about God being beautiful before. You think about God being powerful. You think about God being omnipotent. You think about God being loving. You think about God being gracious. God being beautiful and what's the thing about God being beautiful because we're attracted to beauty and because gazing on the beauty of God takes us into the presence of God and enables us to look into his face and see God as a beautiful thing that we want to love and it's it's what the there was an English Missionary, you've probably heard this story before, this, this is an amazing story. It was a missionary called Alan Gardner. Have you heard about Alan Gardner? Well, listen to this story and remember it, because it's a wonderful story. In 1852, which is some time ago now, he set out to be a missionary in South America. He gave up everything that he had to do this. He gave up his comfort. He was living in, in, in England at the time, he gave up his comfort. He gave up his job. He gave up everything to go and serve God in South America, which involved him getting onto a boat and sailing across the sea to South America. Alan Gardner didn't reach South America. His ship was wrecked and he landed on an island called Tierra del Fuego, which is probably a good holiday destination now, but was not at the time because there was nobody else there. Now, Alan Gardner died of starvation and thirst which I understand is an absolutely horrible way to die. And he had a, a, a diary with him, which he kept writing things in during the course of his dying in that, on that island. Nobody came to rescue him. Remember that he'd gone to serve God in South America. He was shipwrecked and he was on an island and he was dying and nobody was coming to rescue him. <coughs> The last thing that he wrote in his diary was a verse from Psalm 34, verse 10, which is this The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. And you think, What? <laughs> what? The lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing he was lost in the goodness of God because at the end of the day, God was not just useful to him, he was beautiful to him. And the only thing that he needed in his life was God. (laughs) And that was his primary focus in his life. And because he had God with him on that island and because he was able to reach his to remember, I don't know if he had a Bible with him, but because he was able to remember that God was his God and that he had rescued him and he had saved him, that was enough for Alan Gardner. He didn't need to make it to South America to serve God. He died with his head up. As it says in that verse, in, the next, in that verse I read there, Psalm 27, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. He didn't die in an easy place. He died in a place where God, where it it really mattered to him to have God with him, didn't he? And I just think that's an amazing story and a real challenge, isn't it? Because actually, if we can live our lives like that, the rest of this stuff actually becomes possible. If we are genuinely living in the presence of God and giving our hearts to him and saying to him, everything that I have is yours then it makes living the parable of the Good Samaritan possible. It doesn't make it easy. (coughs) It doesn't make it easy and it it means that every day we have to re-neighbour ourselves, probably. And that's what I'm going to say first of all. What next? We've we've looked at the parable. (laughs) We've 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 discovered that what God is asking us to do is unconditional love to our neighbour and our neighbour is actually anyone in need So we're not to limit the who, we're not to limit the when, we're not to limit the cost. How do we do this? What do we do tomorrow? How do we make a difference in in, in living our lives with this? Well, I think some of it has just to start with simple things, doesn't it? We can't can't change the world ourselves. I can't change the world myself. None of us can. But we can all change our worlds by doing small things. and then by allowing God to take us to the next thing. And I think things that are... So so practice being a neighbour again. Even in our streets. I I was coming down on the bus from town the other day. I'd I'd actually been in Shetland on on business. And I'd locked myself out of the house. So I had my case with me. I had to go up in the rain to my husband's office to get the key to the house. I was in a really bad mood. I was on the bus coming down, and a, and a woman who lives along the road from me sat down beside me. And my first thought was, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, oh. So, she sa- and I went, I went hello. <laughs> and she said, hello. And, and then she started talking. She said, where have you been? And I, 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 just, I didn't want to talk to her, really. But I said, I've been in Shetland. And she said, oh, that's where my son-in-law is. And then she started to tell me about her life. And she said, um, she said my husband died five years ago. And, you know, she said, since then I've been so lonely. And I thought, and, and she, she, she said, I, you know, I, I go out every day. I've been out today. I've been out to the museum. Just so that I can see some people. And I have, I, uh, and I said to what, what did you do before you retired? And she said, I was an inspector of schools. I was a French and German expect, inspector of schools. And, and she was telling me a bit about her life. And she was a really, really interesting woman. So by the time we got down to the, you know, we both got off the bus at the same place because we're neighbors. <laughs> we're neighbors. So practice being a neighbor again. I have, I have now said to that woman, you're, you're going to come for coffee and I'm going to do it. She's going to come for coffee. I'm going to be a neighbor to that woman because Jesus loves me and because that's what he tells me to do. And, okay, it's going to be a bit more time to, to do that. But that's, that's, that's one thing you can do with your real neighbours. That person falls within the Lord Atkins definition of neighbour. So that, that's one kind of thing you can do. But there are lots of other things we can do too, isn't, isn't it? So we can do something together, perhaps. We can be practical. You know, st- we're going to hear about the street pastors. That's something practical that you can do as a, as a neighbour to people in need. The, the homeless work that's, be, that's going on in Edinburgh... We can volunteer to help with that. There are lots of things we can do on a practical level. As a church, as churches, you can do things. Tim Keller's got loads to say about this. When t- t- the reason Tim Keller moved from um, Virginia, where he was operating on a relatively small scale, to working in New York, was because of the parable of the Good Samaritan. He was challenged by it. He was challenged to say, I love Jesus. He has changed my life he has given me a new heart he has given me a song to sing what am i singing he moved to new york and he set up his ministries of mercy there and that's so it's it's not about doing that and that saves you it's because we're saved that we do the ministries of mercy and so can i encourage us to be practical and also to remember to speak as well where we can So if somebody says, why on earth are you doing this? This is leading on to this afternoon, by the way. It's a taster of this afternoon. So why on earth are we doing this? We're doing this because actually we're Christians. And because God has loved us extravagantly, gloriously in the gospel. And that's, that's the reason. How do we do it? We seek his power every day by reading the Bible and by praying. And that's something that's a challenge to me. Because we're so busy, aren't we? But if we're going to gaze on the beauty of God, if we're actually going to engage with God, if you never spoke to your husband or your son or your wife or your daughter or your people that you love, you never gazed on their beauty. You know, my husband's beautiful to me. I'm sure, that, I'm sure most people wouldn't think he was, but you know, he is beautiful. But if I never engaged with him or spoke to him or, or, or thought about him, our relationship would die pretty quickly, wouldn't it? You've got to keep renewing your relationship with God. You've got to keep reading your Bible. You've got to keep praying. And not out of guilt, but out of what we were saying, gazing on the beauty of God. Think of that. So when you're reading your Bible, you're not reading your Bible. You're gazing on the beauty of God. It's changed my life, that thought. Let it change your life too. Finally, the summary I want you to take away from this is, we love like Jesus, when we have been loved by Jesus. He is the true good Samaritan. And if you're here today and you've never met Jesus, really, you don't really know him like that. You've never gazed on the beauty of God. You've never thought about God like that. Can I encourage you to think about God like that? Because he is the true good Samaritan. We are the guy lying on the street. You know, we often think of ourselves as a good Samaritan in the story, don't we? We're being honest, don't we? We think of ourselves as the rescuers, and often we are. But the reason that we're the rescuers is because we were the man in the street. And because Jesus has come along and rescued us from that place and put us onto a better place. And so let's, let's make that our inspiration for how we live our lives this week. And thank you for listening so attentively. Uh, what's the time? <gasps> I've talked far too long! <laughs> I'm really, really sorry. I've really droned on far too long. That's ridiculous. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But we've been gazing on the beauty of God. So we don't need to worry about time, do we? We can, we can, we can do this all day. So let's pray. Let's pray together. <coughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that you are the Good Samaritan, for the fact that you reached down into our place and lifted us out of that beaten naked helpless state and put our clothes on us and set us on a horse and set us free to be your servants and lord we pray that you would touch each heart in this room with that message that we can all be your servants help us not to put limits on that help us not to limit your power or your grace help us to be different as a result of meeting with you today for jesus sake amen okay.